forward slash nonprofit utopia. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account. You will find a link to open the account on the page for this episode right underneath the chat box. And don't worry, it's not a long, drawn-out process. You just click that button and presto change, and you'll be able to access the chat box very quickly. You can also email me questions at ValerieFLeonard at nonprofitutopia.com. Just to manage expectations, I will probably not be able to respond to any emails while I'm on this podcast, but just know that I will respond to you just as soon as possible. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark or so. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. If you are watching this on the episode page, you will see this phone number at the top of the episode. We encourage you to sign up for our mailing list to keep abreast of the latest developments with the nonprofit Utopia community. We have included a link to our mailing list in the comment section. So today we're talking about a somewhat complex process, so I took it upon myself to provide a little bit more background information than I normally do, but I think you will thank me for it at the end, so I apologize in advance that this is somewhat long, but um, I think you'll find it interesting and very helpful if you have any questions or comments. So in introducing today's topic, I want to share excerpts from Systems Change, Making Work Possible, a report of the activities of Get Clear Chicago, the campaign to break generational cycle of recidivism. So full disclosure, I prepared this report on behalf of the Get Clear Chicago campaign, and today's guests are leaders within that campaign. So a study of recidivism rates for 4,438 prisoners in 30 states conducted by the Bureau of Justice Statistics, better known as BJS, found that by the end of the five-year follow-up period, 76.6% of prisoners released in 2005 were rearrested, most of whom were rearrested within one year of being released. Returning citizens who received significant support and meaningful employment were less likely to recidivate. And when we look at what happens here in the state of Illinois, we see that a study by the Pew Center found that in 2007, the rate of recidivism for Illinois prisoners was nearly 52%, and this compared to a national rate of 43%. The Illinois Department of Corrections, better known as IDOC, released just over 30,000 inmates from Illinois prisons in 2013. Of that number, about 12,000, or 39%, returned to Chicago communities, with the highest concentration being on Chicago's west and south sides. While these communities have considerable assets and are undergoing positive change, most are still plagued by high crime and high unemployment. And that is 
borne out by census.gov statistics. Formerly incarcerated individuals face a number of difficulties. First of all, the absence of sufficient free legal help and the inability to pay for private attorneys mean that many low-income people unnecessarily carry the burden of an expungable conviction for years. Since expungement elevates wages, an ever-widening income gap results from lack of expungement assistance and leaves low-income people who have been convicted increasingly further behind. The manner in which the Cook County court system operates inadvertently places additional barriers upon those seeking expungement and ceilings. These include the use of complex legal terms and the need to streamline processes for expungement or sealing, acquiring certificates of rehabilitation, waivers, etc. Even though the Cook County Circuit Court provides forms for individuals to expunge their records pro se or without an attorney, many formerly incarcerated people and members of the general public, for that matter, find that it's very difficult to navigate the process without an attorney. On top of that, the expungement process is often bottlenecked in the court system from the lack of affordable or pro bono attorneys. It is not uncommon for major public interest lots and more trying to keep up with the caseloads created by multiple expungement fairs sponsored by various governmental agencies and nonprofit organizations. So today's topic is breaking recidivism, building lives. We'll talk about the issues surrounding reentry how the expungement process may be streamlined to help formerly incarcerated persons and find employment more easily. In so doing, they have engaged stakeholders to impact systems change in the state of Illinois, Cook County, Circuit Court, City of Chicago, and local communities to streamline the expungement process. Today's guests are Reverend Otis Monroe, the CEO of the Monroe Foundation, and Reverend Alina Calloway. She's the CEO of the Rock Enterprises and Development Corporation, and from this point on, we'll refer to them as TRED, and they are representing the Get Cleared campaign. We'll let them come to you in their own way, and I want to say thank you, first of all, to Otis and Reverend Cowley. Uh, thank you for being here. And before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, the organizations, and how you got started working with them? And we'll start with you, Otis, and then we'll hear from you, Reverend Cowley. All right. Well, good afternoon, and thank you for having me on the, on the podcast, uh, Sister Valerie Leonard. Uh, the Monroe Foundation is a 30-year-old not-for-profit community advocacy organization. And, uh, we um, have been more commonly associated with advocacy around access to lending, access to their banking practices and policies, and working within the philanthropic and corporate responsibility community uh, to help them identify 
more specific ways and strategies to direct their funding or their investments mm-hmm. to underserved communities of color. Okay, awesome. Thank you. And I know as we talk further, you know, we'll hear, you know, hear you intersperse some more of what you guys are doing. Sure. Okay, Reverend, okay, Reverend Calloway. Yes. Hi. Thank you, Valerie. Hi, Hi Otis. Hello. I am uh <laughs> I'm not nearly as old as Otis in what I do, but Tread, as you referred to us, the Rock Enterprises and Development Corporation, we are operating the Life Restored Resource Center on hundred thirteenth and South Halstead. We are really mm-hmm. grassroots. We give out clothing, we give out this Saturday we'll be giving out ten pound bags of frozen chicken. Uh, we care of some of everything because we're in the heart of Roseland, and our community is very underserved, undereducated, mm-hmm. uh, lacking in many ways. And I'm constantly on my soapbox trying to bring more resources this far south because there tends to be a lack of attention this far out. And as mm-hmm. you stated in your uh, statistics, we have a large population of reentering citizens. I prefer to say reentered because many of them okay. have been out for a long time. So I'm the CEO of TRED, and we are a 501c3 not-for-profit here to service the mm-hmm. community. And serve well you do, and, and we thank you both <laughs> thank for you. all that you do. And before Indeed, we go you. further, mm-hmm. And, and before we go further, I just want to acknowledge a friend of ours. You know, we have a mutual friend who just indicated by email that he is on the line listening. And uh, we, we want to say hello to Hurley Green. Hurley Green. Hi, Hurley. Hey. I don't feel Hurley. complete unless I see Hurley. <laughs> and, and Hurley literally makes us all look good. Hurley documents the work that uh, that you guys are doing in, you know, reentry as well as everything else that you guys are doing. I wish I could say reentry were the only thing that you're doing. That's the only mm-hmm. part of what you do. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You do so much to, to help the community, and Hurley is always there documenting. And, you know, for those of you who are in Chicago, we encourage you to support the newspaper, the Chicago Independent Bulletin. You can get a year-long subscription for $25, and he really, really highlights news in the community that you would not see in mainstream media, particularly as it relates to African Americans on the South Side. But he will, you know, he'll cover anything that he believes is relevant to the community, and we can't thank him enough. We love you, Hurley. Thank you, Hurley. Okay, so Otis, again, before we get a little deeper into the discussion, can you tell our listening audience what expungement and sealing are as they relate to criminal records? Well, Expungement is a process that completely erases certain eligible convictions 
of your record, which may include certain types of arrest or court supervision and certain probations Mm -hmm. as it relates to the current law in the state of Illinois. Okay, great. And then how is that different from sealing? I I know you guys had an attorney, and he would always correct me. He was like, well, not you know, everybody doesn't qualify for expungement. You know, there are some people right. whose records are sealed. Well, in the state of Illinois, you may be able to seal some or, or all of your criminal record, but unlike expungement, sealing doesn't erase your record. But it does hide your record or your convictions or certain offenses from, from most of the public. However, law enforcement mm-hmm. agencies and the military can see your sealed record, and employers who are required by law to conduct background checks will still be able to view your sealed felony convictions. And in Illinois, in some cases, even Class three and Class four felonies can be expunged, and that's you know retail theft or um, prostitution, forgery, uh, those kinds of uh, Felony um, classifications can often be sealed as well. Okay, if great. I can so, add to that, mm-hmm. yes, ma'am. Uh, you hear already in what Otis is saying how convoluted and confusing it can become. Mm-hmm. If you are a lay person, it's really hard to work your way through the paperwork to see where you fit. And I was just showing one of those papers to a gentleman here in my office, and he was like, okay, which arrow do I follow? They seem to be looping back to another spot. It can be very confusing and intimidating. Very confusing. Mm-hmm. That's why we we felt compelled to mobilize this initiative we call Get Clear Chicago the campaign to break the generational cycle of recidivism because Mm -hmm. in our opinion, and as we have found since we launched in May of last year with support from uh, the Chicago Community Trust and we became a a recipient of its Acting Up Award, uh, we found that whereas the current advocacy is centered around reentry and getting or assisting individuals to apply for sealing or expungement of their eligible convictions uh, based upon assessing if they have satisfied all of their requirements of a post-conviction uh, or post-incarceration. And that's very key right there. So we found that that was not enough, just dealing with one individual in a household. We are talking about entire generations, entire households of family members who have been in contact with the criminal justice system and who not only are we talking about an individual who's in the system and is preparing to come home, but as Reverend Calloway stated, has already reentered uh, the family unit trying to find work, uh, mm-hmm. unable to find work because of certain types of offenses that may be sealed, may be classified as uh, expunged, or may be eligible for any other uh, remediation or, or, or certificate of good conduct, options that are available to them. 
But whereas we may be addressing one individual in a household, there may be one or two others in the household with similar kinds of problems, particularly among juveniles. So we felt this needed to be a campaign that focused on the entire unit and entire and providing hope for the entire family structure to move them from the past and without hesitation into their future. And along the way we we have began we have begun to experience some of the barriers that's part of that, the system mm-hmm. systemic barriers as part of that that have I don't not so much rooted in what's racism, but it's just as a matter of law. And as I said to Board President Tony Preckwinkle at an event uh, last Thursday evening, is that there's so many hoops an individual has to jump through just to begin to determine if I even eligible to apply or petition the courts for expungement or sealing. But then once I identify that I'm eligible, that it's 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 cost intensive, and mm-hmm. so cost intensive that uh, if you're already going into this not having a job, not having any real means of of money to begin with, because you have a record, then my God, how can you pay for the the, the fees for the filings, obtaining the fees for each disposition? that may be stated on your rap sheet. So it's very, very cost-intensive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Reverend Calloway, who are some of the major players in the expungement and sealing process in Illinois? And and before you answer that, I just want to let people know that your process in your state may be a little different, but I still think that her explanation could be somewhat helpful to you because it will at least give you some idea of what the typical um, types of positions could be, and then you can do a little research in your own states and try to um, determine who the counterparts of these individuals are in your own state. So, again, um, without further ado, Reverend Calloway, can you share who some of the major players are? In this process. You know, that's, that's such an interesting question because, of course, you always have the heads of the state departments. And so we have worked with Chief Judge Timothy Evans, who is chief judge for this entire Cook County area. And then we've worked with Kim Fox's state's attorney's office. And we've worked with Dorothy Brown in the clerk of the circuit court office. And we still have a number of people who work up under each of those persons. And to me, they're the major players. And that Mm -hmm. that may sound a little strange, but when you talk about finding the counter uh, person, the person that that represents those areas, I have Mm -hmm. found it so helpful to know who the secretary is, know who the clerk is, know who, Mm -hmm. and I'm not talking about the clerk, the clerk of the court, but the clerks that work up under the clerk, those are Mm -hmm. major players to me. Those are the people that I'm able to get information from. Those are the people who will converse with me when I don't understand something and they take the time to explain it to me because it's so convoluted. I, Mm -hmm. I suggest that if a person would research 
who the major departments are. For instance, we'll be meeting with Commander West tomorrow from the Chicago Police Department. Now, of course, we can't get to uh, Chief Eddie Johnson, but we certainly work through the people that are under him. And so once you find out what the areas are, what the departments are, then you get to know the people that are in those departments that do so much hard work all the time. I think they really do their best, but this is a system that is quite broken. And mm-hmm. each department, each of these these chief justices and each of the clerk of the court people, everyone's trying to do their best within the parameters that they have for the part they play. But when mm-hmm. you start trying to put it all together, this puzzle just doesn't come together well. Mm-hmm. Then Nixon increases yep. in it and things just don't flow. <laughs> and that's what where we run into the bottlenecks and, you know, the dam is blocked and it's weird. It's kind of strange. But when you say the major players, they're the people that do all this hard work just for mm-hmm. it to get bogged down. And it's as frustrating for them as it is for us. So we really want to see how we go about making this flow. And, of course, the one most frustrated is the person waiting to get a job. I have five people sitting in my office right now. They're frustrated because for the past four months we've been been trying to get them employed. And although we work with second-chance employers, people who are, as they say, background-friendly, they're Mm -hmm. few and far between, so it's hard to get them in there. And meanwhile... I'm giving them sandwiches, I'm giving them coffee, I keep clothing here, I keep trying to keep them encouraged not to do anything wrong, but when you're hungry, you're going to get something to eat. Mm-hmm. So back to the question, we have found that when we get ready for these petitions that we file to go through the rest of the system, once we get them filed at the chief, uh, at the clerk of the court's office, then they have to be they have to be um reviewed by it's almost like the system just recycles they have to go back to the Chicago Police Department they have to go back to the state's attorney's office go back to um the uh corporate council and then they have mm-hmm. to get through the state police and it, with each of those, they can they can have 60 days to take a review of that petition, and then they're liable to just say no or send it to court. Mm-hmm. So you never really know where everything is and which of the major players is playing their part. And just okay, so that it. varies. It's not, it sounds like it varies yes. from case to case. Yes, it can be very individualized and very hard to follow. Okay, I'm, I'm going to... Okay, I'm sorry, Otis. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah I, I just had a couple follow-up questions that I thought I would combine them, and and as you see fit to um, chime in, Otis, um, please do so. Um, so. So, Reverend 
Callaway, how did the Get Clear Chicago campaign engage these major players? And you touched on it a little bit, but I think the most important part of the question is what advice would you give to grassroots organizations and collaborations that would like to engage policymakers in making effective change? And, and Otis, uh, feel free to chime in. Okay. Actually, I have to give God credit because our my mm-hmm. initial meeting with Chief Judge Evans was at a breakfast, and I, I really did not intend to go. <laughs> and I kept getting a call from the lady that invited me saying, Rev, I really want you to be there. And when I got there, there were um, presentations about some of the programs that the Chief Judge had been instituting in the prisons. And then when they opened for questions, I just simply said, what have you done for me lately? And he kind of gave me a strange look, of course. But my question was, I'm in Roseland, and I don't see the help reaching us. What can you do to help us? We need help. At which point he said, well, let's talk about this. And we had a meeting, brought Otis. We started getting all of these things rolling, and that led to all the players. And, of course, Mm -hmm. we were dealing with the top, the major player. So he had us meet with the other major players, and let's see what's going on here. And we just found as we kept going that there were a lot of blockages that they weren't aware were in the way of them even communicating. Mm -hmm. And working together. And we have to, we have but, to add credit to uh, Cook County Commissioner Dennis Deere, who also yes. played a role in getting us bef- before stakeholders' concept of uh, reentry and breaking cycles of recidivism, because Commissioner Deere got us in front of the state's attorney's office, whereby we were able to propose a concept that had never been tried before. And the concept was we asked, realizing that under current Illinois law, the state's attorney's office, the corporation counsel for the city of Chicago on behalf of the Chicago Police Department and the Illinois State Police have 60 days to challenge a petition for stealing an expungement. So we asked the state's attorney's office if we may submit to their office the files of the individuals we plan to present petitions for and the clerk's office, and if they would review them and give us an an indication of which ones they would file a challenge against and which ones they would not. And therefore, the ones that they would not challenge we will move those forward, and those that they would challenge, we would continue to work with them and share with us, of course, the reasons for why they feel they would challenge them. And that was uh, new science for them, mm-hmm. as much as it was new science for us. And we wanted to base that upon an assumption that if the whatever measurement that the state's attorney's office uses to make an assessment or evaluate whether they'll challenge a petition or not, perhaps that same concept can be applied in 
going to the state police and to the corporation counsel's office. Because the bottom line, our position was and is that it's a, it's a wonderful thing that the General Assembly several years ago ex- expanded the options for sealing and expungement, but still uh, continued a very lengthy process of that individuals have to go through in order to actually get their records sealed and expunged, and in some cases uh, even petition the court. So what mm-hmm. we're at now is trying to streamline that process more. We are working with State Representative Emmanuel Chris Wells, who sponsored on behalf of Get Clear Chicago, uh, House Bill 2500, which is an effort to shorten the petition challenge time from the current 60 days to 30 days. We may still have to do some negotiation back and forth on that. There is some opposition to this um, reduction by the state police and by the Illinois Sheriff's Association. But we, but Representative Welch is working with the campaign to convene some dialogue so hopefully we can come to a middle ground on how this can uh, be achieved, the reduction in the challenge period. Because, again, we want to move folks past their um, – have passed, if you will, and moves them mm-hmm. back into becoming productive members of society, productive members of their the lives of their family, and into their future employment, education, and other opportunities that uh, many of us uh, want to enjoy. Okay, so, Valerie, awesome, awesome. Mm-hmm. You asked what advice would I give to grassroots yes, organizations? Um. I think the first thing I would say is don't be intimidated. This is something that Mm -hmm. we need so badly. This is going to not only change lives, save lives. When I look at the uh, gun violence in this city, and I think of all the fathers and uncles and Mm -hmm. nephews and family members who are incarcerated, I oftentimes look at that and I say, these men we have locked away and will not give a chance when they come out are the ones who can help with that situation because these are their sons, their nephews, these are their children that are perpetrating these crimes. But you've left the family in such an awkward and horrible situation that there's a lot of hope that's been lost because of this incarceration system. So, you know, for the grassroots organizations, we have to stand our ground with our beliefs. We have to know that we are the ones that are dealing with all of this lack, all of this heartache Mm -hmm. and frustration. And we need to let that motivate us so that we can... Continue to Reverend, do. I don't mean to cut you off, but I've got to add to your listening audience, Valerie, that it's, it's front-line voices such as Reverend Calloway. I, I will continue to say that the Monroe Foundation role is a, is a, is a minor role because uh, uh, we, we do not traditionally operate in this space. We are a convener, and we are a convener of efforts that, that require a response. 
and then we tried to find the players or the narratives in that space, like a Reverend Calloway and Tread, that are working in this in this space, uh, but are under resourced in that work, and we try and become their advocate for the the attainment of the resources that they need to be mm-hmm. strengthened in their advocacy and increasingly effective in the work. So between TREAD, which is focusing on the far south side of Chicago, because you will recall when we began the campaign, our focus was on the communities, the communities in Chicago that had the highest recidivism rates. North Lawndale, Inglewood, and Roseland. So we focus on three of the seven communities. So TREAD is mobilizing in Roseland. Teamwork Inglewood is mobilizing in the Inglewood, West Inglewood community. And North Lawndale is mobilizing on the west side of Chicago with a particular focus on North Lawndale and the Austin and, and, and uh, West Garfield area. So okay, I'm sorry. Wait, good. let me wait. Otis, Otis. Okay, so when you say North yeah. Lawndale, you mean N L E N? Is that correct? Yes, North Lawndale Employment Network. I'm sorry. Thank you. Okay. These are mm-hmm. our partners because these are these are our part. We 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 ask these partners to become part of Get Clear Chicago because there are many others that's in this space of reentry advocacy, and we certainly met with them at varying points in the initial stage. But the partners that we have now are those that were able to stand the course or stay the course uh, and and weather some of the political um, challenges and barriers that were put before us and were unwavering in their commitment to be innovative and different in how this is addressed. So it's not to take away from the work of anybody else, but everybody's doing what they do based upon their capacity to do. But we felt mm-hmm. that, again, there needed to be a, a component of this of this work that was addressing how to remove some of these continued barriers that make uh, that that makes accessing reentry fully uh, almost impossible, and that's the petition challenge period. That's the fact that entire households have a conviction passed. That's the remaining fact that it's uh, very fee intensive. A case in point of the twenty five twenty two twenty five petitions we filed with the support of Cook County Clerk Dorothy uh, Dorothy Brown, who gave us a designated day back in January to file our petitions and stood with us and supervised the filing process. If the Chief Judge Evans did not waive fees on that day, which totaled $1,000, $4,000 in court fees and filing fees, we would be, we would have been challenged with the number of petitions for sealing and expungement we could have filed. Now, thank God that we saved that four thousand dollars, which we're now able to redirect going into the next cohort. But it's an example of 
the the cost intensiveness of this process. Mm-hmm. And for those that have no means but are eligible to file, maybe they are working, they're working a minimum wage job, just enough to survive either for themselves or to support a family, children, they're not going to have enough. In many cases, we found to pay the fees associated with even filing a petition. Okay, that's, that's awesome what makes this, work. That's what, makes this camp- that's what makes this campaign important mm-hmm. because I do not believe, I have no reason to believe, uh, uh, nor do, or the campaign has no reason to believe, based upon what we know, that many of the acknowledged players in this space are are underwriting the, the cost of attaining the rap sheets, are underwriting are underwriting the cost of, of attaining the required drug testing for individuals mm-hmm. who are eligible to petition for sealing and expungement, but they may have a drug conviction or convictions in their on their rap sheet. And they have to have a drug test submitted with the rap sheet that can be no more than 30 days old. Well, that's another cost. Um, we have an arrangement through TAS, facilitated by North Lyndale Employment Network. So this is by leveraging resources of committed partners, such as North Lyndale Employment Network. That's why this this is a very innovative approach to this here. So instead of the broader market of paying $25 for drug testing, we get it for a, a far lesser amount and, there, and through a cooperative arrangement with TAS as a drug testing facility authorized to do such, and we can self-administer the test under certain protocols. But, again, we focus our fundraising not so much on having uh, staff with a lot of degrees to facilitate these processes. We focus more on having effective resources to give individuals reason for the hope by making sure that when they petition for sealing or expungement, all that the requirements of such, we are able to help them meet. Okay, Otis, on that note, I'm going to ask you to hold a bit. I need to open the floor for questions and then also remind people of um, of where they are in terms of whom to whom they're listening, all right? All right, so I want to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit Utopia Podcast, and we're speaking with Otis Monroe, or shall I say Reverend Otis Monroe. And Otis, when I don't call you Reverend, please don't take it as disrespect. I'm so used to calling you Otis. That's so, okay. Um, we're, <laughs> okay, great. We're speaking with Reverend Otis Monroe, CEO of the Monroe Foundation, and Reverend Elena Calloway, CEO of the Rock Enterprises and Development Corporation, or TRED for short. They are here to represent the Get Clear campaign, and we're ready to take questions right now if you have them. So if you're in the chat room and you have a question, please post. If you don't have a question, please let us know how we're doing. Let us know what your impressions of the show are to date. It's very important that we get feedback. And if you have negative stuff, we love you anyway. But I, I haven't heard anything negative, so I don't anticipate anything negative. That's just a 
unfunny joke. And um, and before we get back, I, I have two things to say. One, we've noticed that our international audience is growing, and we would like our podcast guests to actually reflect the views from around the world. So if you're listening from a country other than the United States and you know of heads of NGOs that we should consider having on the show, please contact us at info at nonprofitutopia.com. And then also before we get back, I wanted to um, share a little bit of information about the Nonprofit Utopia community. We are the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders, and we've created a safe environment in which our members can innovate, speak candidly about the issues and concerns they face on a daily basis, and share ideas and resources. Visit www.nonprofitutopia.com and https forward slash forward slash nonprofitutopia.co for further information. Our mission is to provide ongoing professional development and networking opportunities in which experienced nonprofit professionals can share expertise with the next generation of ethical leaders. And the overarching goal of the community is to give our members the tools they need to develop strong organizations that will make a lasting impact. Our vision is to strengthen the global nonprofit sector by providing training and development opportunities for 50,000 emerging nonprofit leaders throughout the world by 2033. And this podcast is just you know, one of the activities in which we hope to reach that number. We thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And, Otis, before we come back to you, I just want to make sure that Reverend Calloway had finished her thought in terms of the advice that she would give to grassroots organizations and collaborations that would like to engage policymakers in affecting change. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I, I believe the main idea is to collaborate, to actually have a meeting of the minds and make sure you're on the same page. Like I said, you should not be intimidated, neither should you intimidate. The goal is for us to work together, and quite often those that are working this whole process, those who have to process the petitions and you know, deal with the people who are frustrated, they can oftentimes be frustrated as well because the Mm -hmm. process is not streamlined, because it's not a smooth, flowing process, because it's so individualized that you have to work with all these thousands, literally thousands of people who need expungement and and or sealing. And exactly Mm -hmm. that. It could be both. And so that that compounds the problem. It's a very intricate process here. And so you want to work with people, okay? That's important. (laughs) So you don't have barriers set up that you have to deal with that are beyond what's already going to be hard to do. Also, research. It's a ton of paperwork. You have to read, 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 and read some more 
to really know the ins and outs of what you're doing. I started jokingly saying, I need to go back to law school now and get another degree. I thought I had enough degrees. But this is an intricate process, and I still don't know it all. But I'm I'm learning. You have to learn. Mm -hmm. So that's basically it. It's a lot. And I I know I I know I, I watch you guys from the sidelines. I don't know how you do it. It's the grace of God, that's the love of God and people, and the passion that drives you. You know, I, I think Definitely. you have to really love this this work to do it. From what I observe from you, and you couldn't get two people who love people more than you and Reverend Monroe. You have to get with people who are like minded. I mean, Reverend Monroe, and I'm used to calling him Otis as well, we we have a passion for what we do. And sometimes our fires can become very big and bold <laughs> because we're, we're on fire for what we do. And sometimes Otis will say, well, Reverend, we need to get this done. And I'll be, okay, Otis, all right. And then he'll soften his voice. And <laughs> we come back together. <laughs> but it's really important. Uh, North Lawndale, Teamwork Inglewood, we work with wonderful people at both those agencies, Pauline and Mark, and then the rest of the collaborative, Reverend Vega and everyone else that we work with. We're all compassionate and very much, very much needing to see some change because we work with mm-hmm. people every day, and their pain is our pain. And so, you know, that's that's what it is. You have to get with people that have your passion for what you do. Yes, yes, yes. So, Otis, you started touching on it, and Reverend Calloway started touching on it. I want to make sure we don't leave anybody out. Um, you guys have done a wonderful job of assembling a strong team of collaborators. You know, it's a multidisciplinary team from what I can see, people who are very uh, well-versed in the industry, you know, workforce development as well as reentry and a number of other disciplines that support. So can you name your partners and tell our listening audience, you know, how you went about assembling the partners? Now, remember, Otis, that can be very tricky (laughs) because, as they tell us in church, when you start thinking and listing people, you always forget somebody. So I'm going to let you do that, Otis. Well, All right, and and blame blame me. (laughs) Well, it's it's not difficult. We have some very core partners, and they are Mm -hmm. uh, Teamwork Inglewood, North Arndale Employment Network, TRED, the Center for Community uh, Development Initiative, uh, Reverend Vega, and um, uh, Brother Robert Douglas, uh, activist over in the Rosen community. And I would be remiss without mentioning our core partners who have helped underwrite this initiative, and that's PNC Community Development, U.S. Bank Foundation, uh, the Chicago Community Trust, and the Employee Matching Gift Fund of the John D. and Catherine G. MacArthur Foundation and the Field Foundation, please forgive me, and the Field Foundation, which helped underwrite uh, our systems change report, which we used back in December 
when we convene our forum with the chief judge to present a discussion around the barriers to reentry and the systems problems that and the changes we propose. So those are our core partners, and then the National Black Wall Street Chicago, Mark Allen and J. Minor Allen, uh, Soul, uh, Sustaining Options for Urban Living is our workforce development partner. So those are our core individual uh, partners that have been mm-hmm. uh, standing with us from the very beginning. But again, um, it's uh, there are many who have supported it in various ways, but it's our core partners that stand with us, particularly when the when the weather gets tight. Mm-hmm. And it okay, gets tight. So, yeah. So, what advice would you give to others who would like to organize collaborations and partnerships? And this doesn't necessarily have to be around reentry issues, but just in general. And if you have any specific instances as it relates to reentry, you know, by all means, share that. Um, so, so what advice? Kind of question to me or, or to Reverend Callaway. Okay, that is for you, Otis, and then Reverend Callaway. If you have something to share, please, by all means, share it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess for myself, after 30 years the Monroe Foundation, for maybe 45 years of doing this work, for me, I've learned I've, I've learned the importance of engaging individuals who have a similar fire. Right. Have a similar fire. And but a fire not just to do something but do something different and mm-hmm. do something outside of the margins. And what I mean by that, they ain't trying to be safe. They ain't trying to be popular. <laughs> they ain't trying to be on Facebook friends uh, going on and on about an award they got. And still the problem remains. Uh, But they're in it no matter how funky it gets. And whether it's funky from your peers or those who call themselves (laughs) your peers peers, or for those who have skin complexion just like yours and ask, what are you doing? Why are you shaking the tree? Why are you making me do more than I'm supposed to do sitting here between 9 and 5 or 8 to 4? Mm-hmm. So that becomes very important, I think, period. It's those that got the same kind of fire and are willing to to draw outside the lines. Mm-hmm. I would say in in my collaborations, there is a Get Cleared movement. Um, and the end part of Get Cleared Chicago is making work possible. And so I take the time to look at what the pieces are to reach our goals. And one of them is to make sure when we get our people expunged, there's work there. And so for that Mm -hmm. reason, I collaborate with other people that I know can help me reach the rest of the goal. So part of my collaboration is the Southeast Jobs Collaborative. It's about 40 mm-hmm. agencies that have different work opportunities, and they always send me 
all these job openings. So I keep a board or listing of jobs that are available, and I have an employment specialist who works those jobs and works with the clients to do workforce development, job readiness training. So I work with people that do those sorts of things. So those are the other parts of the collaboration. But I also am always aware that no man is an island. This is a city of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so when I have other people, for instance, uh, I work very hard with the the Alliance of the Southeast, which is over in Susan Garga. I'm so sorry. Susan Garza's ward over in the 10th ward. Mm -hmm. That's not my Mm -hmm. ward. That's way over on the southeast part of this city. But they are doing a very important development over there right now. And I can see a way to funnel some of our people into work positions, employment, Mm -hmm. right there, because my forte is the disadvantaged worker, those who have records, single women with children, homeless. Those are the people that I love and I work with. So I collaborate with people who are also interested in that part of what Mm -hmm. we do. So forming collaboratives, you don't want to just jump at anybody that says, come on. I have lots of people calling. Would you be part of this? And I want you to be part of that. And, you know, come attend this breakfast and that dinner. And I look at it and I say, in the overall picture, how is this going to serve the people I serve? And Mm -hmm. so you have to be selective about who you call yourself collaborating with. So that's my piece of it. Right, Otis? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Every collaborative ain't a collaborative. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to tell me that, and I won't won't elaborate, but I I know from whence you speak. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So let me... um, yeah, I just want to interrupt you one because we are we we have all the five minutes left and we have not covered everything that we thought we would cover. You know, this conversation is getting good. You know, it was good from the beginning as far as I'm concerned, but it's getting even better. And my question to you guys is do we have a hard stop at three o'clock or um, shall we continue to get through the questions, or should we just stop 15 minutes later? Um, you know, give me a sense. You know, you're my guest, and I want to accommodate you. We can go as, as long as you want to go. I mean, this, this, uh, I'm, I'm game. Yeah. I mean, we'll be okay oh. until my kids run in here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we definitely uh, okay, have about so. a half hour before that. Okay. All right. Yeah, the the tape runs out in about um a half hour. But, you know, I didn't know okay. how long this would take. I I'm enjoying the conversation and from this email I got from Pierre Clark, um Pierre says I listened to the podcast, very good. We should post the podcast link to the Get Clear Chicago page on Facebook so that we can spread the word via Facebook and also tweet the link out on Twitter. So that's wonderful. Pierre, from what I understand, is one of your partners. He's working with you guys with marketing, technology, community outreach, and to the form, Pierre yeah, doing his job. He, he, he helped us prepare our media. Pierre is wonderful, and he and I, yes, he and I will be collaborating on some things. And, and we thank you so much, Pierre, for that. And feel free to call in if you have any comments that you'd like to share 
Um, our phone number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. Or feel free to to chat whichever way you prefer to do it. And, and that invitation goes out to anybody. It's not exclusive to certain people. So we would love to hear what you guys are are thinking. Um, and and with that, I want to ask Reverend Calloway a question about, you know, the goals and objectives of the Get Clear campaign. You know, when you started off, you know, I, I think you might have wanted to accomplish one thing, which was to get records expunged. But, you know, clearly, you know, as the work evolves, you obviously have refined those goals and and those objectives and then some of the outcomes. So would you care to share where where you guys are now with that? Well, our main goal is building the title, Get Cleared, Mm -hmm. Breaking Mm -hmm. the Recidivism, the Generational Cycle of Recidivism in our families and our communities. To be able to take the opportunities that they're supposed to have in this great country of America. We mm-hmm. wave our flag and we sing our songs and we say that this is the land of the free and the home of the brave, and then we throw people in jail and throw away the key. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's appropriate for me to bring this up, but I was listening to NPR this morning and they were commenting mm-hmm. on the new uh the new law breaker or whatever you want to call it that uh, our President Trump is releasing 500-plus people that were convicted Mm -hmm. of drug usage or drug possession, and now they're going to be let out. And when I first heard this, I was like, let out to where? What is in place to help them? Where is the housing? Mm -hmm. We don't have housing now. For many of the people that are walking our streets <clears throat> who have criminal backgrounds, we don't have employment. If you've been locked up 15, 20 years, you have very little understanding of the technology that's here. You have lost most of your family. Mm-hmm. You have no support system in place. And I'm sitting in my office thinking, those people are going to be coming to my door. Because this is what we do. We're a resource center, primarily for those who have backgrounds. How are we supposed to help these people without the funding that Otis alluded to earlier? Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, they're at least two months behind in the funding they were supposed to let out, and they don't think they're going to meet the July deadline for putting things in place to help those people. Mm -hmm. So our goal is to keep pushing and pushing, knocking down the walls, pressing the doorbells, beating on the desks and the doors of those Mm -hmm. that are supposed to be making this more affordable, making resources more available, making Mm -hmm. people feel that there's more hope for them for the future, and not just Mm -hmm. the future, for now, right now. So our goal is to just keep doing what we're doing to not only clear through petition, but clear the pathway of life 
to a better future for Mm -hmm. those that come to us. That's what we have to do. That's our calling. This is not just something we're passionate about. We have taken an oath as reverends to do just this, Mm -hmm. set the people free. So, you know, we're kind of like little Moses, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we're trying to get the pharaohs to turn them loose, turn them loose, and let them walk out, you know, come out. They came Mm -hmm. out of that bondage with gold in their bags, gold. We want to see them come out of these bondages with gold in their bags, not just money, hope, understanding, a pathway to real freedom. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. I'm always the, the, I'm the one, I guess I'm the poetess of the group. <laughs> That's the way I express things. Now, Otis will put the, the real, he'll put the list together for us. Right, Otis? Well, you know, I can listen to Reverend Calloway all day. I mean, listen to Reverend Calloway it gives me continued hope because it's easy to go into a dark place sometimes mm-hmm, and just have mm-hmm. a good day. Well, regardless whether it's reentry or economic justice, it's very easy to go into a dark place when you're alone with your thoughts late at night and you're looking at uh, what's in front of you and then you're praying for continued endurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, but it's the voices that of a Reverend Calloway, uh, Mark Mitchell, and a Pauline Sylvain Lewis, who jumped on an Amtrak with me three weeks ago and went to Springfield so we can testify in support of our HB twenty five hundred that State Representative Seven District Hillside Chris Wells sponsored again, to reduce the petition challenge time. So it's those things that make that keep life in front of the darkness. It's, mm-hmm. it's very easy for you to just want to give up or ask yourself why, and you have to be reminded by the Lord, the Holy Spirit, whispering in your mm-hmm. ear that yeah. there were times perhaps when Jesus asked why. <laughs> and what he had to do was far worse than the things that I may whine about every now and then in trying to do this work. But it's important work. But again, it's work that is made so much more effective because of individuals who are passionate and have compassion, like Reverend Calloway, Mark Mitchell, mm-hmm. Timur Kinglewood, Pauline, Sylvain Lewis and the whole team at North Lindale Employment Network, and, and Mark's intern, Angela Wang. These individuals are really committed beyond an eight-hour day. They breathe this work because they know people need reason for the hope, and they certainly okay. have been doing everything in their power to give it. Oh, that's they awesome. You know what I that's great. I see a caller whose number is is not listed. I am going to make your mic live, and if you have a question or comment, please, please share. Um, just a moment. 
Okay, caller, your yes. mic is live. Did you have a question? I hear you, yes. Um, did anybody hear or see 60 Minutes yesterday when they were talking about a new program? I forget which state. It might be um, a prison. It might be Alcatraz. I think it's called the True Movement. It's based on something which um, a couple of researchers have found in, I think it's in Denmark. But in any case, mm -hmm. you're talking about recidivism today. They're um, going beyond the normal um, corrections officer or prisoner type of situation in which now they're trying to use touchy-feely type of methods in which both mm -hmm. the correction officers and the prisoners are allowed to mingle and the prisoners are giving a lot of um, duties and are giving a lot of activities to participate in because ordinarily these particular prisoners would only have 22 hours, uh, actually two hours a day, outside of their solitary confinement. And in the last two years, they've been having remarkable success, and the recidivism rate has gone down remarkably. I, I think it's called the true... So Anyway, you can look it up online, 60 Minutes. It was yesterday. At least it was on oh, radio. Okay. Okay? I'm yeah, right. yes, I'll, I, I'll look it up. I, can we respond? I, yes, please. Okay. I'm not sure please if I respond. saw... Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I saw that exact program, but some months ago, there was a, a similar program on, and I know it was based in Europe. I'm not sure what country, but... The uh, prisoners actually had kind of apartments. Uh, this gentleman had a big plant in his apartment and a big rocking chair and a lot of items that in our prison system would have been considered dangerous. And he mm -hmm. had a, um, I think he had a murder conviction, but he was allowed to go to work every day and come back. And he would come back religiously. And I thought that was incredible because what I think I saw, what I noticed, is that the people were not being treated like animals. They were actually being respected as individuals, as, as people who made a mistake, a horrible mm -hmm. mistake in some ways. I'm not, you know, trying to take away from the fact that people were hurt or families were impacted by the actions of that person. But if our system is to be one that rehabilitates, revitalizes, it has to be changed so that people are treated like people. Yeah. I was very much, I yeah. thought it was a wonderful program, and it's something that I've always espoused to, that we can't expect people to be treated like animals and then come out into our society, and all of a sudden everything's a bed of roses. I don't think that's the way it can be done. So, yes, that that mm -hmm. was a good program. Yeah, and I, when they said mention the rock, I, I, was, I don't know if Alcatraz is closed down or still closed down, but they mentioned that the place that the prisoners were on was nicknamed the rock. And, um, yeah, I mean, the prisoners have to go to therapy. They have to accept responsibility. Those who don't. Right no longer continue with the program but those that do they have um <laughs> they've turned themselves into mini apartments um one mm -hmm. guy set up a yoga exercise for the other inmates uh correction officers and, and the prisoners are laughing you know they both know the respective roles but right. um mm -hmm. there's one guy 
Now, there's one guy who is who was who may be. Uh, uh, let me see. I think he got let out because somebody, one correctional officer, saw potential in him as a basketball player, and I think he's playing for a college now. I think he was. I think he was let go from the program and from uh, released from prison. And again, the whole um, uh, agenda is to make sure the recidivism is low. And you can't treat people like animals, um, you know, and, but he can't forgive those who will not accept uh, forgiveness either. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that's All right. I just thought I'd let you guys know. Okay, but so. I think you, you said a key word there. There's an element of forgiveness in what they're doing. And as a reverend, we have to we have to utilize that. We have to forgive. We may not forget. I don't think God ever said that. But we have to forgive. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and uh, <laughs> I think it's great. I think that people who go to jail because of certain either emotional problems, psychological problems, circumstances perhaps beyond their control, should be given a um, should be given a second chance if they can show mm-hmm. that they can actually accept being out here free and not harming anybody else, regardless of whatever the reasons mm-hmm. may be that drove them to prison. So I hope the program continues. I hope it spreads because I, um, you know, you never know who the who your neighbor next door is. <laughs> could, <That's> be, right. <laughs> could be, could be a um, a former uh, murderer. <laughs> so yeah, right. be nice, you know. All right, so I'll let you guys get back to uh, to your program. Take care now. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really, really appreciate the call. Yes. That that was very, very helpful. You know, there Already. was an element to that. Mm-hmm. Should I continue? There was oh, an element yeah. to that program that I noticed when I saw it. Um, and that was an economic part to it. It was apparent mm-hmm. that the uh, state was putting money into it. Because this one guy, he was actually driving, and he did have a, a conviction for murder. But he would drive to work and come back and park his car right there in the lot. And I was wondering, mm-hmm. okay, now where to get the car from and who maintains it? And even the apartment that he had, the cell that looked more like an apartment, he had regular furniture and quilts and fluffy pillows and <laughs> drapes, wow. everything. It was an apartment. It looked like a person lived there. When I go to the state prisons, I'm always taken aback. One of the worst sounds that I will ever remember is the sound of those gates closing behind me. When I go in, it just chills mm-hmm. my soul. And to keep hearing mm-hmm. that, to have to go to that every night, maybe two, three times a day, Ooh, when you goodness. let out to the yard, and then you got to go back and clank. It, it's it's just it's horrible to me. Okay. Uh, great. So, Otis, we got a question yes. for you. Um, the Get Clear campaign is evidence-based, and when I speak of evidence-based, I am speaking of the fact that the results are readily documented, supported by data, anecdotes or stories, and other information. So can you describe Get Clear Campaign's program model and some of the evidence that you have to to show that it works. 
Well, the evidence model that we are beginning to use is one that documents how we can reach the individuals that fit the profile. And in our mm-hmm. example, profile are those individuals that are three years post-incarceration uh, and have satisfied all their conditions of post-incarceration. They have satisfied all their probation area requirements and uh, restitution requirements. So for our model, it's not it's very defined. Again, the individuals Mm -hmm. that under the expanded law that allows for sealing and expungement, we want to go after those individuals. So that was the first Mm -hmm. step, is is identifying where they are at in these three targeted communities of the seven that have the highest recidivism rates. And Mm -hmm. second part, of course, was identifying the groups or the stakeholder advocacy groups on issues of reentry within those target communities that we selected for this model and this approach mm-hmm. that we can gain their buy-in to work with this campaign. Then from that is how do we engage uh, the removing of the barriers to the process. And so mm-hmm. the second, the third step is our dialogues with uh, the state's attorney's office, getting them to agree to allow for what we call a pre-submittal review, a pre-submittal review of the petitions we plan to file for expungement and sealing before they are submitted uh, to the clerk of the circuit court. So again, to mm-hmm. test that uh, our theory of if there, if 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 the current system was willing to look at a system's change and working with an advocacy group to provide a pre-court review to determine mm-hmm. which which petitions will be most likely challenged, then the advocacy group is better able to determine the type of of petitions that more readily will go through the process with minimal challenge by all of the concerned uh, agencies. Mm -hmm. And then our our fourth piece is, is reducing the current challenge period that individuals have to endure um, when they have filed the petition and mm-hmm. waiting for the 60-day challenge period to kick in, which often is not actually 60 days. It's 60 days by statute, but there's nothing that actually monitors or ensures that each each entity of interest in a petition actually adheres to that 60-day period. So the legislation we propose is to provide uniformity to that process once the records are submitted as a group from the office of the clerk Mm -hmm. that they go to the state's attorney's office, the state police, and the corporation council operating 
acting on behalf of the Chicago Police Department at the same time and not at different intervals. Um, but by proposing legislation that requires a more simultaneous approach and a reduced challenge period, now we begin to document how more effectively we can impact recidivism in targeted mm-hmm. communities that have the highest recidivism rate, recidivism rate and begin to put individuals back into uh, productivity in their lives and in the workforce and in the communities. Okay. And then, you know, just looking at the report, you know, that was you know, put together in December, you know, some of the things you guys are tracking seem to be numbers of pre-RAP Sheet Day participants. And I know we haven't really talked about RAP Sheet Day, and, sure. and I guess you can go into that, but some of the things that you were tracking are the number of people who participate in the pre-RAP Sheet Day, the number of people who actually participate in the RAP Sheet Day, the number of people who are receiving government-issued identification cards, the number of communities that are represented in your sample, the number of referring partners, the number of rap sheet day participants who actually go through yet another process, the legal Q&A session participants, and then the number of those who actually file for legal options within 30 days, and then of those, the percentage of clients who started the process from the beginning who actually go through the end, you know, to, to the actual expungement process. So what I like about the design of your program is you're tracking people from the moment they start at you know various points within your system, um, and there are a number of touch points, which would include um, coming through one of your partners or either through the court system. So you're documenting at what point people come in. You're also documenting the people that you work with from beginning and as well as the attrition to figure out, you know, where the bottlenecks are, as well as those people who actually get through the process. And you have the data at every one of those touch points to demonstrate progress or an area that needs to have a a little bit more attention. So that that to me is a truly evidence-based process, but it's not – you know, it's not so academic in ivory tower that people get lost in minutia and, and nothing really affects the client. So right. I, I think you guys are doing an awesome job of mixing, you know, a little bit of theory but more practical, hands-on, and even more so, you know, love with your client. So I'm I'm sorry for, for picking no, that a little bit. No, that is not Basic data tracking of individuals through the processes is very important. We need mm-hmm. to be able to know where people are at at each interval. Well, the thing is that yeah. also um, you've mentioned to me before, Valerie, you know I'm meticulous when it comes to data, <laughs> <laughs> very detail-oriented. Um, And so, you know, I'm the one that keeps minutes and everything because we want to not only loop, we don't want to lose anyone in the process. So if we see that 
this person is having a hard time with transportation, then we need to know how many people can get to these places to even get whatever that particular stage is Mm -hmm. completed. You know, so we need to know that this is, transportation is a big part of the problem for our people. Uh, Mm -hmm. How can you, you know, we have to just know what all of the barriers are. And so by tracking the numbers and not just realizing, well, they weren't there, we go back and find out what happened. For instance, one of our guys didn't make his filing because he got a new job. That's a good thing. And Mm -hmm. he couldn't be off the job that day to go down to the daily center. And so we were able to go get his paperwork for him and talk to the the clerk's office about leaving it with them for him to come and talk to them later. See, it's little things Mm -hmm. like that. Those are the little cracks that can have people dropping through and you lose people. But for us, we want to see what those things are because those those are the lessons that we needed to learn about the whole process, you know. Mm-hmm. So that that comes when you keep those meticulous records and data <laughs> about mm-hmm. why folks weren't there or what was said in all these meetings and how does this relate to what's going on over in this office. It was mm-hmm. one very interesting thing was that when we were dealing with the state's attorney's office, there was um they found out about a program out in California that yes. would help to do the petitions much easier us trying to figure out all the Latin and Greek and everything else that's <laughs> in the petitions. And when you think that those who consider ourselves well educated can't figure out what it is, so how is the person that has less education that's the best way to put that how are they going to figure out all these questions it's so intimidating but with this i believe it's called code america it Mm -hmm. merely puts in a number that person's record comes up and it sorts it Mm -hmm. all out and boom there's the petition that in itself can save months of work Mm -hmm. so you know it's doing all of this data and seeking all of these answers to the questions that brings about change. Mm-hmm. It gives you something to change. Yes, yes, yes. <clears throat> and we seem to have lost Otis Monroe. Otis, please give us a call back when you can. Uh, we have exactly seven minutes left before we're unceremoniously booted off. <laughs> The system, um, and you know, while we're waiting for Otis to rejoin us, um, there's one thing I, I just wanted to um, have you clarify. If you could talk about pre-rap sheet day, rap sheet day, and then the form that you have with the attorney, you know, as quickly as, as you can. Um, we, like I said, we only have um, we have six minutes now. If you can share okay. with our listening audience what that was about. And that's for me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Those are different stages of the whole program. Pre-Rap Sheet Day was an informational seminar that we did because we realized a lot of people don't understand the 
things that lead up to filing a petition, they don't understand the difference between expungement and sealing or how the petition looks or whether or not this is the paperwork you should use, this one you should not use. They don't always understand that you don't want to go into this process if you have a warrant. And we didn't want to set anyone up for failure. Not that we're trying to, you know, undercut the legal system, but these are different things that people don't understand about the whole process. Whether or not their felony is one that can be expunged or if it's in the list of four mm-hmm. that cannot be expunged. There's just a lot of information. Okay, we got two minutes. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was four minutes. Okay. All right. And then all no, of this no, led up to the rap sheet day when we actually mm-hmm. transported down to the police department, had an arrangement with CPD to allow our people to come mm-hmm. in and get fingerprinted, and then we were able to get their rap sheets in a shorter amount of time than usual. So there were those all those stages we meticulously counted everyone that showed up and why they didn't. And then that Mm -hmm. moved into us actually having the rap sheets, being able to look them over, review everything, and then write up petitions. So we had a lawyer that helped us with that and an intern from Northwestern. So it's it's really looking at every stage and figuring out Mm -hmm. what could be made easier and what is the problem here, and moving them forward with hope. Okay, and from what I understand, the difference in your process versus working with others is this is pretty much a group process, um, you know, from start to finish. Oh, we move in a crowd everywhere we go. Okay, (laughs) right, versus the individual, which would be a linear process and would take longer, so you're – basically working with people, for lack of a better word, in batches. And just because it sounds inhuman does not mean that it lacks the human touch. I've seen you guys work with groups. Every one of the individuals feels special. So, you know, don't get the feeling that people are being herded in. It's just a matter of efficiency. And we have three minutes. And and basically I wanted to give you one minute to give your parting thoughts and then I will close out. Well, my parting thought is that I'm prayerful that we can continue to help people and not just through the Get Cleared campaign. We want this to be global. (laughs) We want to do Mm -hmm. whatever we can show anyone who's in this criminal justice system, anything that we can show you that's going to make it easier for people. That's our goal. It's not for us to get any glory out of this, or we're not about Mm -hmm. that. We're about people being set free, getting cleared, breaking the recidivism, so we can have stronger families, and thus stronger communities, and thus a stronger state and country, Mm -hmm. a stronger world. (laughs) Okay, awesome. That's what we want to do. Okay, and can you let us know your name one more time, and how we can reach you. Well, it's the Get Cleared Initiative campaign, and I don't have Otis's number right in front of me, but I'm with TRED. Okay. My name is Reverend mm-hmm. Lena Calloway, 
My number is 773-468-0474. If you call that number, I can get you to whomever you need to be with. Okay, and you can call Otis Monroe, Reverend Otis Monroe, at the Monroe Foundation. His number is 773-315-9720. And we have... Yeah, we have one minute, and I'm going to have to wrap this up. And I thank you so much, uh, Reverend Calloway. You're I thank so you welcome. so much, Reverend. I thank you, Reverend Monroe um, in absentia for joining us. This was a wonderful conversation. We went over time. I, I think it was worth the extra time, and I say thank you so much. I want everybody thank to make you. sure to – you're welcome – to join us next week for another lively discussion with Nonprofit Utopia, our guest will be Darshel Garner. She's the Managing Director of Vineland Consulting, LLC, and she works with faith-based organizations to do board development and strategic planning and all that good stuff. So she'll have some really good stories. And Reverend Callaway, please um, be helpful if you and Otis can join us next week, you know, listen in um, our show has some wonderful stuff. So mm-hmm. without further ado, I'm going to have to let us go and okay. take care. Thank you right. so much. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye-bye. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Utopia podcast, formerly known as Nonprofit U. Our podcast is an extension of our community, and we provide a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm the founder of Nonprofit Utopia, the ideal community for emerging nonprofit leaders. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. You can find out more about us on nonprofitutopia.com, Facebook, and Twitter. I encourage you to follow us and to comment early and often. Today we're using the hashtags Nonprofit Utopia, Get Cleared, and Breaking Recidivism. You can also leave